On Saturday, February 26, 2022, I woke up from a nap with crushing chest pain. It felt as if my body was being torn in half. I thought I was dying. I was sweaty, I had numbness in my arms, tingling in my discolored fingertips, and it was hard to breathe. I knew these were symptoms of a heart attack, but the emergency room staff told me a healthy 28-year-old doesn't have heart attacks. But they were wrong. In reality, anyone's heart could fail. At first, the thought was, this is random. But the signs were there. I had frequented my doctor for six months. My body was telling me something's not right. But today, I am grateful to be able to tell my story and ask these questions. Was it my gender? Was it my race? Could this have been prevented? Are you ready? You got this, girl. Love Girls, the podcast is all about storytelling and empowerment. Our mission is to share a space for women and girls to talk about the stuff that matters to them most. Love speaks to the support we give each other as we search for our own path to success. L, we can lead the way. O, overcome barriers. V, value each other. E, and empower each other. That's love. Because every girl has a story. And our stories matter. Hello and welcome. I'm Kayla Babers, host of Love Girls the Podcast. Hello, I'm Ryan Martinez. I'm also co-host of Love Girls the Podcast. Healthcare is one of the most pressing issues in the United States today, no matter your age or gender. However, there are some scary statistics for women, especially African-American women. Cardiovascular disease kills more than 50,000 Black women annually. Among Black women, 20 years old and older nearly, 58% have cardiovascular disease. Only 39% are aware that chest pain can be a sign of a heart attack. Our healthcare is important. I would argue, especially for our youth, because with youth on your side, you can prevent a lot of serious illnesses, but you have to feel empowered to speak up and tell medical doctors about what is going on with your body. Our teen squad will be joining us with their questions and concerns. Hello, my name is Kyla Nephew. I'm 14 years old and I'm homeschooled. Welcome, Kyla. We're so excited to have you here. And to join Kyla is our special guest today, Dr. Angela Anderson. Dr. Anderson is a leadership and organizational expert. In partnership with tech executive Candice Morgan, she launched a podcast entitled Just Be Real Sis. This podcast was established to have real conversations on issues that have historically been difficult to discuss. She is the author of Now What? Get Over Yourself and Move. She is committed to her passion for motivating others. In 2020, Dr. Anderson launched Live with Dr. Angela on Instagram. She donated over 200 hours of coaching and encouragement for 200 consecutive nights. She is a person committed to empowering others. She is a mother, wife, speaker, trainer, mentor, humanitarian, and a survivor of a life-threatening pulmonary embolism. Welcome, Dr. Angela. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank joining you for us. Dr. Angela, tell us about your experience with symptoms, diagnosis, and treatment of your pulmonary embolism. Was it difficult for you to get a diagnosis? So it was sudden, I guess the first word that comes to mind. Um, I had worked that day, and it was a normal day just like any other, which is uh, what makes it particularly scary. I wasn't 
really aware of what was happening, but I was just in significant pain. And uh, it was difficult to get a diagnosis. It actually took three providers in order to get the diagnosis over the series of a few days. And so that's a story all on onto its own. But um, essentially, once I did find the person who believed the symptoms that I was having, it was clear what was going on uh, once the emergency physician that I worked with saw the x-rays and ran the test that I had a pulmonary embolism and the pain was actually coming from um, a lung infarction, which was happening at the same time in addition to pneumonia. So all of those conditions were occurring at the same time. Uh, But as I said, it took three providers uh, to believe me when I reported that I was in pain. The crazy part is our symptoms were almost identical and the length of time it took for us both to get diagnosed was almost identical. So I guess like I'm not a medical doctor or anything, but I'm assuming there's other women across the United States, across the world that identify as African-American, person of color, black, brown, what, what have you. And they're having these same kind of symptoms, but yet they're still getting a kind of, I don't know, shrug your shoulders type diagnosis from these doctors. And it's frustrating because being in that much pain, it's scary. And you look to doctors to have the right information and to tell you, okay, we're going to do this, this, and that. And and in that moment, I realized these doctors are human beings just like me, and they may not be able to figure out in time what's wrong with me. So I, I can definitely understand where you're coming from with that, that scary aspect of it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I encountered... Um, providers that were fantastic. I encountered providers where there were areas of opportunity. I think the the most important thing is is just making sure that providers listen. Mm-hmm. You know, when people present with symptoms and that they are thorough in their examination. And the reason why I say that, so for example, you know, the first provider that I saw, although I was re- reporting chest pains, uh, they never even took my vital signs. Wow. And so, you know, had there just been that simple initial triage, I guess you would say, it it could have saved me days, but it also could have, you know, been a fatal outcome because my treatment was delayed as such. You know, at one point I was told that there was no cause for concern, that I was all clear and that I was not in any sort of respiratory distress. Um, and that was documented. So, you know, had I not persisted on getting the treatment that I knew I needed because I was in pain, all of the documentation would have said that I was fine in the event that something had happened to me. And so I think that's really the scary part. It's just important that we know our bodies, that we listen to our bodies, that we, you know, relentlessly advocate for ourselves. And so unfortunately, you know, our stories aren't uncommon. And I think that's why I love the fact that you all are doing this podcast and that you're having this conversation. You know, I hate that it was inspired by your own experience, but, you know, what has happened to us is is not uncommon. I've encountered many women who look like us within our community who have similar stories themselves or who have relatives who have experienced some of the same things. I'm interested, Kyla, um, do you have a regular doctor? And if so, are you comfortable talking to them about everything that's going on in your body? 
Um, yes, I do have a regular doctor, but I usually only go to the doctor once a year for the yearly checkup or if I'm like sick or something. Since my mom's a doctor, I really, yeah, I don't really go that much. So usually I speak to her about it first and she sees what she can do about it. And then if she can't figure it out, she's like, okay, I'm going to make a doctor's appointment and we can go see what's going on there. And usually my doctor is a female, so I feel pretty comfortable um, talking to her about everything that's going on. Have you ever had an experience where you felt like the relaying of your symptoms wasn't received well by the provider? Or do you think having your mom there being a doctor and kind of having some know-how helped you get, I don't want to say better care, but care that was taken more seriously? Yeah, last year I told my mom like my heart felt like irregular. So she was like, we're going to go see the doctor. And the doctor was probably like, oh, it's probably because you haven't been exercising in a while. You're fine. You're young and healthy and this and that. And my mom was like, uh, no, uh, we'd like some scans and some tests ran to see what's going on. Sure. Dr. Angela, I know you had young daughters. Have you ever been in a situation um, where you had to advocate for them or anybody else in your family? Fortunately, I, you know, I was just sitting here listening to Kyla talk about the benefit of having, you know, her mom as a physician. So our stories are unlike Kyla in that, you know, I also have the advantage because I happen to be married to a doctor. And so it's interesting that we're having this conversation because people would not believe that these sort of things happen, you know, to those who are in healthcare or, or in proximity to healthcare. But again, it's the reason for the importance of this conversation. It it happens to everyone, which is why we have to raise awareness. So when it comes to my daughters, to answer your question, I am a fierce advocate for them. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate that at this stage, you know, they're fairly young. I haven't really had to to advocate in a space where I felt like they weren't receiving adequate care, but to Kyla's point, you know, their provider is an African-American female. Mm-hmm. And so that could, you know, be part of the reason why. But, yeah, I've only really had to encounter it in my own health care and, and not really theirs yet. But I'm already, you know, really giving them the words, the verbiage, and the encouragement as they get older to ensure that they continue to advocate for themselves you know, even when they are independent and on their own. And, and this is so telling because growing up, I, my parents would tell me that when my brother got diagnosed for leukemia, how many doctors it took for them to take my brother seriously. Um, he mm-hmm. got diagnosed first at three and they were like, well, he's only three. How does he know how much pain he is? And mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. would tell him, oh, he's fine. And my parents said it probably took three to four doctors until finally somebody took scans and realized he had leukemia, I mean, almost all around his body. And so it's crazy to grow up hearing these stories. And here I am at 22 still hearing these stories, um, which tells everybody that we need to speak up for change because something is not right happening here. And it's it's especially telling because my brother is black, you know. So is mm-hmm. this a race issue? Is this sexism? And it's interesting, you know, just because of the line of work that I do. And I know you shared some of what I do, but um, my main job or my day job is that I am um, an executive in diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. specifically in health equity. So it also is really ironic to have this experience, you know, as in my day job, I'm advocating for you know, equal access and accessibility and making sure that we provide, you know, equity in this space. But now 
you know, I'm able to share more broadly, specifically what this looks like, not just as an executive, but as a patient. Um, and, you know, when you do this work, there are those phrases or those red flags that go off in your mind and you realize what you are hearing mm-hmm. and you realize what you are experiencing. So, for example, with one of the providers that I, I went to see, they were using a pulse oximeter and it wasn't quite reading correctly. And so the doctor said, well, you know, sometimes these don't work on colored fingers. Oh, Lord Jesus. What? And my husband said, and, and I said, I said, excuse me, because you, you know, what did you just say? And he repeated it again. Oh, my goodness. And so when you encounter something that is that direct, you understand what you're navigating. And so, you know, we insisted on an X-ray because he continued to say that there was no issue. We finally got the X-ray. When I asked him, you know, to tell me tell me what I'm seeing, it was all clouded. Like, I knew it wasn't a normal X-ray. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a radiologist. I'm like... This is not a normal x-ray. You know, and he made a comment. You know, he couldn't, you know, see what was going on because this is a quote. He said, because you have breasts. I can't. I don't see. I can't see what's going on. Wow. And I thought, what is happening here? He said, you know, if you're in that much pain, you probably need to put your purse on the other arm. Oh, my God. And so there were these, you know, these things that we know happen when bias is being exhibited. It is. I don't have to give you forthcoming information. I can assume that you're pain-seeking. I can minimize the pain that you're experiencing. I don't have to be as attentive. I can dismiss it as something. See, essentially, he told me I had post-nasal drip was what was documented, and that I should go home, and I should blow my nose, and I should cough a few times, and then that would be enough. Good as new. Which actually could have been fatal. I mean, you can't see us, but we're like... (laughs) A mixture of shock and awe, (laughs) Um, (laughs) even though I myself have experienced the same thing with the pulse oximeter. Do you have, I guess, I don't know if any advice or any tips on how to advocate for yourself, especially in the heat of the moment? Um, Because I know for me, when I was in the hospital, the pain was almost so high, like I was incoherent. What tips could you give to young girls, young women, or I guess anybody that takes a listen to our podcast on how to, if something in your gut doesn't feel right when it comes to your health care, how do you bring that up? I would first say, you know, listen to your body and trust your body. No one can understand what you're experiencing other than you. And so, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have someone with you who can help advocate in those spaces, Please take advantage of that. If you don't, just continue to ask for what you need. And it's it's sad because you almost have to be insistent upon it. And you can do that if you're not getting the release, if you're not getting the care that you feel like you need. Don't dismiss it. As I think about what happened with the third and finally the person who helped me was, you know, he said you were sent home in critical condition twice. He said, so when you came in here today, you were minutes away. Wow. And so when someone tells you mm-hmm. that and you really process what that means, you know, I'm a mom, as you mentioned, I had I have two young daughters, I'm a wife, you know, I'm, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. And so to have someone send me home literally in critical condition, not once but twice, 
you know, it, it just emphasizes the importance of making sure that we're persistent and, and that we just keep advocating until we get what we need. Like our pain tolerance is um, perceived different than non-women of color. This could be false information, but I saw a TikTok where a med student said that um, for years, black bodies were documented to feel pain differently than that of our non-black counterparts. And it's just things like that are insidious in our healthcare system. And it's like, how do you check and balance you know, every doctor, every, you know, facility providing health and services without people mm-hmm. falling through the cracks. And unfortunately, for us, fortunately, thank God, we we, yeah. we were caught by ourselves or by our loved ones or, you know, a doctor that was knowledgeable. But that doesn't, I always think about the people who didn't get that second chance or yeah. the doctor didn't take that second look. I don't, I don't think that's always talked about enough. Oh, absolutely. And it is it is not a myth, uh, you know, historically in medicine, that was the perception that we did experience pain differently. And so when you think about the beginning of, you know, the practice of gynecology, J. Marion mm-hmm. Sims, if you look at, there's a book called Medical Apartheid. There's like so many Horrible. books out there that really give you the details around what that was like. You know, modern medicine, uh, a lot of that work was based on work that was done with, you know, our ancestors. And so I think some of those biases persist in the space, which, again, is why it's so important that we are in tune, that we utilize our voices, that we aren't afraid, you know, to speak up. I think, you know, there's also this premise because we're told, you know, this is a doctor, this is somebody that you should trust. And for the most part, I would say that you can, but you it doesn't mean you shouldn't advocate for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and a provider that wants to give you the best possible care will welcome having that conversation with you mm-hmm. because they understand that that information is critical in making the correct diagnosis. Is it something you think about often? I know my health was something I took for granted before I had a heart attack. (laughs) Now I know that that's not necessarily a luxury for everybody. Again, my mom is a doctor, so she's (laughs) all about healthiness. So um, we keep a lot of fruit and healthy stuff in the fridge, like strawberries, grapes, apples, blueberries. And then we eat salads too many times a week. (laughs) And she's always... Like, when we go out to eat, she's always like, you don't eat juice or pop. You can drink water. Sure. And then we don't keep too many snacks in the house. And I'm, of course, always thinking about it since I like like sports. I'm like, I need to eat what's help best for me and what's going to help my health and mm-hmm. give me the most energy. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Um, growing up, I wouldn't say that my parents were very health conscious, but they did not have snacks or junk food in the house. 
um, a lot of it was just like fruits, vegetables, anything that we could make. My mom was the main um, meal provider. So you get what you get. You don't throw a fit is a thing. <laughs> um, but I will say now that I have started my ad- adulting journey, I have noticed that what's cheap and convenient for my wallet is not going to be convenient for myself later on. Mm -hmm. So I will attempt at all matters to buy healthier foods. Um, I've really loved making my own trail mixes. I saw something on TikTok where this girl kind of bought one of those appetizer trays that have the mini compartments. Mm -hmm. And so I will fill that up at the beginning of the week with nuts, fruits, anything. The part where the dip goes is kind of like my quote cheat meal I'll put my favorite candy in there and then I can't refill it that is my snacks for the entire week and so that's how I watch myself from snacking too much and also I've been looking into you know smoothies in the morning I've been drinking them pretty consistently with protein powder to up that I take my vitamins now now that I'm older I'm like oh I see why my mom did these things you know I got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult there's things that I feel that if I probably would have pushed a little bit more, probably would have been answered. But again, teaches me at 22 to keep pushing, keep fighting for the things that I know might be, quote, wrong with me um, and figure out ways to, you know, fix those things in a positive, healthy way. Full, balanced nutritional meals is not cheap. I mean, even if you're hitting up Aldi, you're still you're still going Man. to look. It's a tell nice me how chunk I just spent like eighty eight dollars at Aldi's. How does that even happen? <laughs> how Aldi's is like normally you put a whole cart full and it's like twenty six dollars. I was so hurt. I said, "You said what, sir?" <laughs> you had to double check the receipt. Literally like, did. I was like eighty eight. I just want to say, I'm writing down that idea about the appetizer tray for my girl. They're going to be like, where did you find this out? I will give you credit. <laughs> yes, I I really have to like give props to social media sometimes, especially depending what your algorithm is on TikTok. Right. You can find very useful things. There is a feature that a lot of people don't know. Like if you hold down the video, you can push dislike. So it'll stop reoccurring on your For You page. I've been very intentional to not only be healthy in like a physical sense, but like also my mind and soul. There are a lot of people be like, did you see that video? And I'm like, I refuse to fill my brain with that. Like, I'm sorry. I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to watch that because I don't want to go on like some depressive episode because you made me watch this video. Right. your providers now that you almost in a way have been kind of scorned by the healthcare system even though you are in it it took me a while to get to a provider with whom I was comfortable but I was committed to make sure that I did that and so the way that I navigated through and so Carol I'm sure you experienced this too it completely changes the way you look at life in Mm -hmm. general when you experience something like this but relative to healthcare, I ask people that I trust already mm-hmm. who they went to see. Mm-hmm. And I ask them, you know, who is your provider? Because I know they would choose the best for themselves. Right. And that's how I got recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so using that method has been really helpful because I have, you know, now 
a group of providers around me that I, I feel like I can trust and, and they listen, which mm-hmm. is critically important for me. Does race or ethnic background of your provider make a difference when you're making these selections? So for me, I think there is a heightened level of comfort when you have a provider, at least for me, where there is some commonality. Now, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, one provider that does not look like me, but I have worked with him for years and years. He developed, you know, he delivered both of my daughters and we've established that trust over time. Mm -hmm. My primary care physician does, is an African-American woman. And so I think it really just comes down to can you have that open dialogue? Do you trust them? Have they proven themselves over time? You know, what happens when you're in the office? Are they attentive? Do they listen? Are they distracted? Are they talking about other things? Do they Mm -hmm. rush you? You know, those are the things that matter to me. And if those things are checked off on my list, great. Now, where I think it's helpful to have someone that I can relate to or that looks like me is in some of those things experience-wise that we may share in common because I don't necessarily have to explain some of those things. They have an understanding of them. And so that heightened level of cultural sensitivity, that heightened level of cultural knowledge, you know, I think is important depending on what you're presenting with. But, you know, I've had great experiences in in both cases. So I think it's just about what's best for you. I totally agree. Just for some reference, I asked because Kyla, Mariah, and myself, we're in the Quad Cities, and Mm. the African-American population is only about, we're pushing 9, 10%. It might be, (laughs) Mariah's like, it might be less than that. Um, Let me see them census data. Let me see that. we don't even, well, I won't speak for the rest of the women women and girls in the room, but I know I can't even find an African-American mm. primary care physician or cardiologist, the, I have to go. I'm My specialist now is in Iowa City, which is about an hour from here. Mm. But not to say my current cardiologist is a man. He's a person of color. <laughs> and I just remember being in the hospital. I'm high on pain meds because I've had a blood clot in my chest for days and didn't know it. Mm. And the nurse gave me the wrong dose of a medicine. Mm. And mm. I was like drowning. It felt like I was drowning because I had pneumonia as well. And I remember, I'm not going to say his name because it is local. He came mm-hmm. in there and he cussed that nurse out from top to bottom. And he was like, what you will not do is make these egregious mistakes that impact my patient's life. And from that moment on, I was like, oh, we locked in because I know... It was deeper than her just making a mistake. He felt like he had a responsibility over my livelihood and my health. And I don't Mm. think, unfortunately, all providers don't have that same energy or that same connection with their patients. Um, And I've seen it. And I'm just grateful that even here in the Quad Cities where, you know, I might not be able to have a black woman as my primary care physician, I do have a physician that cares about me and my health and my health care goals. And I know in the United States, that's a luxury, me having health care, being able to even pick and choose and us being able to find different providers is a luxury that a lot of our peers, counterparts do not have of any color. Well, I would just say, even if you, 
you know, I know you're in an area that doesn't necessarily have a high level of diversity, but regardless of the provider that's in front of you, have those tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Explain to them what your needs are, what your concerns are. If there's something that is happening or is not happening that you feel like it's necessary for you to get adequate care, say that. And then keep looking. It doesn't necessarily have to just be based solely, you know, on ethnicity or race, Mm -hmm. but just provision of care. but don't ever be afraid of the doctor. Don't ever be afraid of speaking up. If anything feels off, you know your body. You've lived in your body your whole life. We Sometimes we just need someone to tell us that it's okay to do that. And so you're, that's very sound advice. I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> with what you said. Thank you, Dr. Angela, for coming on and sharing your story and being so vulnerable with us. We appreciate it. Question, if people wanted to join your chats or message you, how can they find you on social media? So if people want to connect, you can, if you're on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Angela Speaks. If you're on LinkedIn, I'm Dr. Angela Anderson. So either of those are great ways to connect. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you to Kyla for joining us today, our host in training. Um, She's doing a phenomenal job. We are so thankful for you tuning in to Love Girls, the podcast, because every girl has a story and her story matters.